The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's adworks.com slash billrisser. Volunteer to do open houses. Go out if, if in your market they're doing brokers opens, go out regardless of whether you have clients or not into all the different neighborhoods. That's how you learn the inventory when you have no clients so that you can speak to clients about, about property. Because when it comes right down to it, we're still in the business of selling property. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 104 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. I'm on a little bit of a Coldwell Banker jag. I think there's some amazing people at that company, and, and today it's no exception. I'm really honored to be able to interview and talk to Andrea Geller. She's with Hot Property, the Chaz Walters Group at Coldwell Banker Residential in Chicago, Illinois. I've met Andrea at a couple of events around the country, generally Inman-type events, uh, and she's got a wonderful story to share. I'm really excited to talk to her. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I like to find out where people are from and kind of get their background. You're in Chicago now. You've been there a long time with Coldwell Banker. Are you a native of Chicagoland? I actually am a native of a native of Chicago, um, wow. which is rare because so often, you know, people say I'm from Chicago, and then they tell you what suburb they're from. I actually um, have always I was born in the city, grew up in the city. Um, my only little little uh, outpost from that was in the '90s. I moved to Fort Lauderdale for six years. I'm yeah. in Florida. How did you like it down here? I loved it. It's actually my Five-year plan is to have another home down there. My 10-year plan is to be down there on a, a regular basis. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, you know, we've been here now seven months from Phoenix and originally from San Diego. Uh, we're on the West Coast over in the St. Petersburg area, but we really love the state. I think there's some amazing stuff. I'm getting used to the humidity and <laughs> small price to pay, I think, for what, what this state offers, right? Yeah, and on the East Coast, there's a little bit less humidity because I, I, when I was there, I traveled the state a lot, so um, I, I got I knew I knew where I was gonna feel the humidity more than other parts. Right, right. So a couple questions. You're from Chicago, massive sports town. I got to ask you this question: Is it the Cubs or the White Sox for you? I live uh, a couple blocks away from Wrigley, and my office is a couple blocks away from Wrigley. So <laughs> I think you answered um, that question. So how much fun did you have last year? That just had to be amazing to be in Wrigleyville, or it had to be difficult it, getting around. One of the two, right? You know, it was it was a it was an amazing experience because you know Chicago fans are always wait till next year. Right. Um, the the other part that's really interesting is that uh, several years ago the Cubs were sold they were owned by the Chicago Tribune organization and they were sold to a private uh, family, the Ricketts and the Ricketts have pretty much taken the area around Wrigley and they're redeveloping that. So the midst of all of this construction, they reconstructed the the team as well as reconstructing the neighborhood, which I think 
to me, it's positive um, because you always want to do things to increase that tax base to bring more amenities to a to an area. Yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I know that there's been changes in the ballpark or the you know it's it's a, a an ongoing kind of a thing. I know Theo brought in a bunch of his people. Um, I actually worked with Theo Epstein at the Padres back in the '90s, so just very happy to see the success and very excited for Cubs fans everywhere. So that's great. Um, th- there's another battle in Chicago. I've been there a few times and it's, it's either Giordano's or Lou Malnati's. Where do you fall on that one? Well, there's a handful of others. I, I tend to uh, do Lou Malnati's more often than Giordano's. It just depends on who's getting to choose. But I've had both. I like them both. It's uh, deep dishes different. It's a different, it's, yeah. I think it's almost an acquired taste, right? Yeah, and there's Geno's and Geno's East. It kind of goes to who gets to choose. Talk about talk about the the neighborhoods of Chicago, right? I had to meet somebody in Wicker Park at a Starbucks and get off the, I think it was the Blue Line. And right. it, it, there's some amazing things happening with redevelopment and just these these areas just coming back to life, right? So there's there's a variety. Most of them tend to be off of transportation hubs. Like you mentioned, you took the Blue Line, you got off um the Damon stop and, you know, there's always a Starbucks or something there. One of the other areas, um, Wicker Park and Bucktown, which is that core has been since the early, I would say 2000, late nineties has been just on a uh, continued high. One of the other, I find really fascinating things that it's happening right now in Chicago is the tech boom. Um, I don't think most people think of Chicago as a tech boom. But Google and Facebook have taken up quite a bit in our West Loop areas. And what's happening is the the rentals around there and the condos, it's primarily a condo townhome market, not not huge on single families. There are any maybe a handful um, is just booming. And that's where we're really seeing the biggest increase in our market appreciation. The other factor in that same area, uh, McDonald's has actually acquired a lot of that and they're moving their headquarters back from the Chicago suburb of Oakbrook into the city. Wow. And that's that same area where Google and Facebook are kind of taking over. So we're seeing a huge, huge amount of tech, um, an office replacing, because we were a manufacturing town, especially in that West Loop area. Um, the, the manufacturing went away. It was converted to condos. Um, a lot of the, the buildings were retrofitted into different types of loft condos and apartments. And then Oprah moved in and, and kind of took a chance there. And then she's obviously gone. And the tech industry has really taken off in Chicago. And we're seeing a lot of relocation. We're seeing a lot of people, an influx of people from out of the state, which is not typical because Illinois is having some issues right now. But there's obviously incentives to to these tech companies and it's bringing people back to chicago uh relocating back from the suburbs into the city as well as is out of the area right and bringing in a younger crowd right that's great yeah yeah that's awesome disposable income yes (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about your career path right because i very few realtors that i've interviewed knew they were going to be a realtor say in college or in high school and so I'm going to ask you that question. I mean, what was your first job out of school? I was one of those people who always felt the need to work. And I got a work permit before I was 16 so that I could work legally um, in my father's drugstore. 
and then in a family retail business. So that path kind of continued for a really long time. I always had some, was involved professionally touching retail at some point from uh, selling to managing to purchasing. Then when I moved down to South Florida um, on a wing and a prayer, I had always had a part-time job at Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, So I was able to get employment there very quickly. I also had an opportunity, um, fallen as a fluke, as a executive director of the local chapter of the American Institute of Architects in the greater Fort Lauderdale area. Wow. That was my first introduction to professional associations. From Sachs, I went to Neiman's to manage, uh, Neiman Marcus to manage in Fort Lauderdale, which led to a a, um, opportunity to become a sales rep. And I was selling furniture and home furniture and accessories. I was manufacturer's rep and I had the Plum Territory, which is basically Vero Beach going down to the Keys, and then uh, Naples and Fort Myers. Most people don't have the luxury of going down to the Keys and then writing it off as a business expense. Right. Um, (laughs) You know, you work Friday and your friends join you Saturday and Sunday. So, you know, I had that was a really great experience. And through that, I was able to manage. um, It was only a couple hundred members. We had like 150, I think, when we started and we really grew. It was a time, a a boom town in South Florida in the 90s. Um, So I think when I finished, we were over almost 400 members. So relative to chapters, we grew grew quite quickly and and started becoming more affiliated with the larger chapters around us like Palm Beach and Miami. So that was a real learning experience about professional associations. The sales rep part, there was a lot of travel. Locally, I had the least amount of travel of any sales rep in this country of in any profession. I mean, because there's just so much density in that South Florida area. But being furniture and accessories, I had to go to the High Point, North Carolina show for, and I'd be there for two and a half weeks, twice a year. And then in the Atlanta gift market twice a year. Um, and that was two weeks between setting up the showroom and then the show and winding down. I cover shows in New York, um, once in a while as well. So there were some circumstances and I decided I wanted to come back to Chicago. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's easy to get a job as a sales rep. I got a job with a showroom that had very similar lines to what I was repping and representing in Florida. But, you know, there's a big difference and you've lived around the country between running around winter in South Florida and running around with your samples and meeting clients in the Midwest in the winter. Right, right. I decided I didn't care for that. So my sister, who's a real estate attorney, also teaches was teaching pre-licensing and CE. And she's like, you know what? You hate this. She's like, I can use someone in my office as a paralegal. Um, she her her practice was ninety percent, about eighty percent real estate. She's like, and you'll learn you know, both ends of it while you're getting your license and I'll give you a scholarship to the class. So I didn't even, I, I got that, I think it was five or $600 at the time. So I got a scholarship and <laughs> I took the class and I started with a developer. I learned that I appreciated getting paid on what I was doing. So then I went to work for Caldwell Banker about eight months later. And that's kind of, you know, where, how I ended up in real estate and how I ended up in a Banker. This is uh, like 1999? 
time frame? 1999. Yeah, by 2000, I was at Caldwell Banker. So the internet's just starting to blow up, you know, with websites and all that kind of stuff. So were you were you an early adopter of these technologies as they were rolling out? Were you kind of self-taught well, on that? Well, it was really it was self-taught because what was really interesting is um, when I got my license, our MLS had just launched this very bizarre thing to most people, which was a web-based MLS access because it had been. Um, DOS-based. It was called PC Access, and it was this ugly blue screen with yellow blocky print. And you had to be on a, like, you know, you really had to, you had to install the software. And like, to me, I just thought it was ridiculous. And I started using the web-based and agents were telling me, oh, you don't get the same information. Well, you get the same information. You just have to know how to look the information up and how to choose fields. And, you know, but the data is all there. It's all the same data. So I, I never, I was probably one of like in my office and people around me, I was like one of the first people who like never used PC access and just was like amazed that when I was sitting on the MLS board, when they chose, I think it was around 2006 or seven, when they finally decided that they had a vote to do away because the company was not updating that program anymore. It was going hundred percent web-based. And the uproar in our local industry was just amazing. We, we, you see that even to this day, just switching the MLS from one provider to another creates havoc in the industry. Right. So, and I'm someone who like works 90% off my phone for the most part. So, uh, you know, I carry once, if I know I'm going to be out all day, I'll carry, I have an iPad Pro or and I have the smaller iPad Pro, both sizes. And I'll throw that and keep that in the car with me if I know I'm going to have to do a contract or things like that that are just easier on a bigger screen. Right. Um, and then I have an iMac. But when I got to Caldwell Banker, one of the first things I did was I researched websites. Um, I had already had my domain name because I had my own email, I believe, prior to getting in the business. Wow. I had Andrea, I already owned AndreaGeller.com. So I got... I, and I think that was like the company to use. It was like the most advanced website. And I don't think it's around anymore. It's called Advanced Access. You know, I had the website. I was creating content. I was blogging. I kind of started blogging on Active Brain, which I've since taken down because the type of blogging that we did, you know, in 2003 and 2004 about, you know, our open houses and stuff, you know, wasn't the kind of content you really want anyone seeing now. Right. That's what you did. And now I just, I have a little Playster site, um, plus all, everything that Cobalt Banker offers. They, they have a, uh, I'm with NRT, so they offer us market leader sites. So I did, and, and then, you know, starting to use the automated, like, email me, don't call me for showing requests. In our market, we like in a lot of markets, I know they either go through the office or you showing time. That's not typical in our market. And now it's using the showing time tools. But I I kind of became a, a tech nerd early before I think any I, we knew what tech nerds were. And I remember I was the only person walking around in my big Cobalt Banker office. It was one of the largest ones. And it was the largest one in Chicago. And at that time, the largest NRT office in the in the network nationwide with my like clunky first the palm palm pilots <laughs> palm pilots yeah where you jab the screen with a stick that's awesome <laughs> yeah i had a palm pilot then i got like one then i like love the convenience of the phone the palm trio right right and then you know one of the first ones to have the phone with the email coming to it and 
all of that. And, you know, all the, the browsers and everything were so clunky then. It, right. You know, there wasn't a total lot of function, but it was calendar function. It was email function. It, I found, I was cleaning up a storage locker and I found my first Blackberry and I found one of the flip phones and, and all that. And it's just, it's amazing. And, you know, 12, 15 years. Yeah. How far um, we've come. How far we've come yeah. to where, like, like I, I'm so bad now that I, and I know, I don't want to jinx it because I haven't gotten stopped yet, but I'll just, if I'm going to the grocery store, all I do is I take my, my car fob and my iPhone because I can Apple pay. Right. Right. And luckily I did like, I do, I did picture like scanning my license. I hope you're not jinxing yourself, but you really kind of don't. As long as you got that, as long as that phone's with you, you just can't lose the phone. Yeah. So, <laughs> and you know, and it's funny cause like I choose the grocery store that takes Apple pay. Nice. Um, nice. I think I was an early adapter. One of the people who kind of pushed me into the next arena, which was social, was a man that most of us know um, was Stefan Swampole. Um, When I was on the board and in leadership for the Chicago Association of Realtors, every year they had a leadership conference for incoming leaders to, you know, different, different types of trainings about the industry. And it would typically be an overnight event. And Stefan would typically come and speak. And I knew there was this, this man who was so intelligent with this wonderful voice to listen to. And one year he started talking about these things called Twitter, Facebook. And I remember after one of the sessions we were talking and he, we, he showed me kind of how to set it up. And we, were, we started tweeting each other and friending each other on Facebook. And that got me involved on Twitter into these conversations about the industry. And I really wasn't sure how to use it in terms of my business, but I was meeting all these people from around the country and it was fascinating to me. And that's how I became in the early days, I became connected to Chris Smith and Katie Lance and um, how, you know, they were associated with Inman at the time. Um, Chris was, was still working for move for top producer, um, but was speaking at these Inman events. I was one of the first speakers at there when they took the, um, their, what they, the, those days it was called agent reboot. Right. Um, now they call Inman on the road. And I, and the first one of their first, very first events was in Chicago. And I believe Chris Smith brought me into that. And all of that was a result of Twitter. And, and prior to that, Chris and I connected. And when he was speaking in Chicago, he, you know, messaged me, we'd meet up, you know, we'd have these conversations. So that's kind of how I like got into this more, like I would say, I guess high profile realm in the industry. Um, and then in these conversations and, Michael McClurg on, on Twitter started this hash and that's, you know, we started using hashtags to keep in the conversations and of RTD. And that was pre Facebook group. That was a couple of years before Facebook groups came along. So these, these great conversations were happening on Twitter and these people who were, you know, agents from different areas to, to managing brokers, to, brokerage executives to vendors. I mean, that's how we all started to communicate and get to know each other. As a branch manager for Chicago Title in Phoenix, that's how I got to know who all of you were and start making those connections online and then eventually meeting you face-to-face. It's been uh, it's been an amazing ride. It, it has been. And then Facebook groups became, then some of those conversations moved there. 
Um, and it's interesting because for a while I was very heavily, I, I was heavily involved in a lot of groups. I have either, for the most part, I've either left groups, turned off notifications. Um, there's very, the, the group really has to have a purpose for me besides beating the same dead horses. And I'm finding that that's what's happening, you know, in a lot of these groups. And that's not productive for anybody. Like I find there's some, there's, the Coa Banker has an internal group of about, not, I think we're over 19,000 Coa Banker affiliates. And it's a, that's a great place. It's a great resource to share Coa Banker resources. Um, it's a great place to send out, receive referrals from, learn, and, and they put in other things about the industry. And it, and it also, I think, keeps us more informed of the value of our brand because we're seeing it. We're not waiting for it to come down from our managers. We're getting the information from the top immediately, which I think creates a huge value to the brand and to what I can bring to my clients. We, we had Lindsay Lestansky on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and that's probably part of her primary role, right? Is to help get the message out, not only to the public, but also internally. Yeah. Yes, and she's amazing at it. And one of the things that makes her successful, and I and I'm finding that's true with people who I'm meeting throughout the country and in the world actually, is that if you are not who you are on social, when you meet them in person, it's disappoint it's disappointing and it also hurts your reputation. I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, you've gotta that, that word authenticity tends to be used a lot, but in the real estate space, there's a reason it's being used a lot. It really matters. You just, you just need to be who you are. And we all have different ways of communicating. Um, and sometimes, you know, we need to, to watch how we say things online, but we still need to, 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 to say them. Right. Well, you know what? That brings up something I would love to talk to you about. Things we say online and how we say them. And, um, you were involved in a in a, a very high profile legal case in 2012 involved the Chicago Association of Realtors. I'm hoping we can talk about it. Is that something we can chat about? Yes. Okay. So I would rather defer to you to maybe if you want to just kind of lay out maybe the outline of what it was, and then just you know maybe how um, how that's affected how you how you work today, how 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 you view things. So um, I was a, a longtime board member for the Chicago Association of Realtors, and there were some questions, um, not that just I had, uh, the, the incoming who came to be the sitting president had as well, as well as some of the other members. And through a series of events, they removed the president. The, the executive committee chose to remove the president. I believe, or I don't know if it was the board of the whole executive committee, but the president was removed and then it became very public. There were some comments that I made on some of the different platforms where there were articles published that were some national news platforms, local news platforms, and not different from, unique from other comments. There, you know, there were some comments consistent with mine, but they chose to sue me for defamation. And it was a long process. It was the litigation lasted, I believe, over three years or almost three years. Um, but it still lingers on. 
there there really was no outcome. They the Chicago Association chose to dismiss it about a week before the trial was scheduled to begin. And and where it lingers on is I is that most of this industry, I think until you have actually been sued, you don't really get what litigation is about. And I mean, I've been around attorneys and, you know, as real estate agents, especially in, in Illinois, because we're an attorney state, we are around attorneys all the time. <laughs> the the litigation part is, is very, and it was a very unique case because of association suing member. And it became very high profile by news agencies outside of the real estate realm to where when I would be, um, when it started, Foursquare was popular. I'm going back to social and, you know, you check in to build your client base and all that. Right. And I would check in and I would have either other realtor members or reporters coming up to me. That still happens. I still watch often, especially when I'm down in the downtown area during the day. I typically don't check in or I will untag myself if somebody tags me because it still does happen on occasion because it's it's kind of an invasion of, of my space, especially if I'm with my family or with friends who really, it's not part of their world. So people, you know, they want to know answers. They want to know what happened. Um, I have agents, realtor members across the country reaching out to me because they they don't really understand litigation but they know that I had issues with my local association and they're having issues um, either as members, as board members, um, as committee members. And I think one of the, the things I would say to that is that the, the disconcerting part to me is that they feel they have nowhere to go. And a local chapter is just a charter of NAR. So they should be able to go to NAR and NAR should be able to mitigate the situation. And I'm, and I guess we're seeing a, as you've probably seen in all the press, there has been, you know, a lot of this breaking down the ivory tower. It's the new NAR with this new CEO. And I, I, my hope is that the very scarce core standards that they started with, um, I think they instituted it two years ago, that they keep building on that. And they do provide a way for a member or a board member to have an avenue to have a a grievance, much like our professional standards where it's agent to agent or member of the public to agent, that the the member to the association has a, a method in place just like that, where if there is an issue, they have a, a way to get due process. The biggest lesson that I learned is I don't understand, and I still don't understand to this day how, and this goes back to to the removal of the president, that we still have not seen due process. What I mean by due process is that there is some sort of hearing system in place, just like the professional standard system, when there's an issue between an executive officer or board member in the association, or the association has an issue with one of its board members or executive officers, everybody is entitled to due process to hearings. And that hearing can't always take place internally, because then that's not a fair playing field for everybody. And 
you know, I was going back and this morning, coincidentally, in my Facebook memories, a post, a couple posts came up because there were some articles posted about the removal of the president of the Chicago Association in 2012 um, that, that were posted today. And I was going back and reading it this morning and I was looking at it. And one of the things I, I don't understand is how the Realtor Association prides themselves on due process with their long history of professional standard system, but they don't have that within. There's nothing built within. And I'm hoping that the core standards continues and that becomes part of it right. because there are, I am hearing from so many agents across the country, so many realtor members that are, and I would say for the most part, the larger ones, um, when it comes to individual member issues, they're, they, I'm not hearing, I'm hearing from a lot of these smaller boards that really probably should be merging into larger boards and they're not, and they're, you know, they're holding on to these 200 and 300 member boards and they're impeding some of their members' ability to earn a living because they're bringing in, they might join a brand new brokerage model that the other members don't like, or they're starting to use a technology to streamline and it makes it, you know, the other people, the other realtor members don't want to engage in the process of, of a more automated transistor, uh, transaction of using eSign or, or whether it's DocuSign or .loop. And they're like literally trying to impede these realtor members' ability to earn a living mm-hmm. because they don't like the way that they're doing it. Even after that experience, right? Because you, you served on a committee, you were a, a volunteer with the association, um, and, and you, had, you go through this process you haven't given up on volunteering and be, being a part of this process to try and make the industry better, right? No, I, I still, and part, I, I mean, I've been on both sides. As I told you, I work for the uh, American Institute of Architects is a, you know, on that side as an employee side. And I totally, totally appreciate and understand the need for organized professional association, especially in an association this large. And you do need to have volunteer membership to help make that work. And I've served, I mean, my, my resume is long. I've, I've been a board member, local national state. I've been committee chairs. I've governed for government affairs. I've chaired and vice chaired and headed subgroups. I've met, you know, and part of that, you go out and you meet with all the elected candidates. And, you know, I've probably been in every ward in the city of Chicago, which is 50 wards, and then met with the senators and, and, representatives and, you know, uh, led the Capitol conference days and things like that. I, you know, and I've been a major RPAC donor. Um, and I, I, I don't know my exact total. I think it's over 15,000, which, you know, is, is not a lot to some, but it's a lot to others. The last couple of years are the first years I haven't been a major donor in a couple of years. I have another reason for that as well, um, which is something we can talk about. But I do believe we need a professional organized real estate association. And so I kind of, I was holding back until I thought, okay, and maybe it was unrealistic that all of the discussion about the litigation would, would go away. I'm was, you know, reminded in news conference um, was two 
weeks ago. And every time I come out of my little cocoon and go to something like that or a national call banker, I'm reminded because people come up to me um, seeing I'm attending, wanting to ask about it, wanting to tell me their issues. And I, so I was heavily reminded of it two weeks ago. And, but I also know that you need, you need the volunteers. So I decided this isn't going away. So this year I, I did, um, I'm in a, a new association, which I'm very proud to be a member of the Main Street Organization of Realtors. I became less gun shy this year and I applied for a couple committees. I got them. So I am going to be serving on grievance, which is for those who aren't familiar with the professional standards system in the Realtor Association, the grievance committee reviews any complaints that are filed, and then they decide if there's merit to actually move it forward to a professional standards hearing. And then the other, which is my techie nerd in me, is there was, they have a vendor advisory committee. They do a lot of, uh, Main Street does a lot of affiliations with vendors like Real Satisfied and um, different vendors to, to help provide more tools, systems, things like that to their realtor members at either no charge or they work out some sort of discounted price for their membership. So I have, um, gonna, I was appointed to that as well. Um, I think being involved at the level I am in, in, in my relationship with that, that that's afforded with new vendors, I think I can really contribute to that committee. Again, really believe in the professional standards committee. I just, you know, was wish there was one in place when it becomes member versus association. Well, let me ask you a kind of an easier question because that's that those are pretty deep topics we're going through there. It's It's been 10 years now that you've been on and in and playing in social networks. So today, what's your favorite one and why? My favorite, you know, I still am a huge Twitter fan. Um, I would probably say I use Facebook more just because that's where the audience is more. And using, you know, Facebook ads. And that's really where we're learning, you know, there's more opportunity to learn more about people and connect. And the, the instant messaging on Facebook has become a huge means of communication. It's where a lot of people are reaching out to you first and saying, you know, whether it's a new client, um, whether it's, so even that's how you actually reached out to me. And then we exchanged our more direct information. Right. Like I get probably as many direct messages as I do text messages. And the other thing is, is that I'm on the platform a lot because the the, the private messaging in Facebook is great. Um, there's, I have a lot of different group discussions that are happening offline, a variety of people in the industry. You know, I have a, a core group of co-anchor people around the country that we kind of share and, and communicate with, um, a group of Inman people. Um, so, and it's a great place a great platform for a variety of reasons. It's just, you know, so much more multifaceted than Twitter is. Um, Instagram, I love because I think we're all visual people. I'm investing more in it, but I, it's also hard to invest a lot because you can't, besides, you know, your one link to wherever you're sending people to, you can't post a link within the message to like send them to a, a blog post or an event post or something like that. So, but I love Instagram just because it's visual. I've not gotten into Pinterest at all. I closed my account down actually because I just, it was like just too all over the place. <laughs> and then Snapchat, I kind of was on more in the beginning and more so watching than, than creating. But when all the adults started using all those scary, stupid filters 
um, that's when I stopped. And then I started <laughs> posting on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? Most of you I know professionally, and I just really don't want to see you like sit in a meeting with you and then like have that vision of that filter on your face. (laughs) 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 Andrea, I've had you here well over the time I asked for you from your day. And so I want to ask you the same question I've asked every guest on the podcast. It's um, if you, if you could give one piece of advice to a new agent, just getting started in the business, what would it be? So I think most people standard answer is to learn the tech part. I think people come for the most part, people going into any industry now get the basic tech stuff. Because it's it's not that different industry to industry. What I would say is I still believe that the stuff that I did when I first, when I left the developer, went to Caldwell Bank and really had nothing. Volunteer to do open houses. Go out if, if in your market, they're doing brokers opens. Go out regardless of whether you have clients or not into all the different neighborhoods. That's how you learn the inventory when you have no clients so that you can speak to clients about, about property. Because when it comes right down to it, we're still in the business of selling property. And if we don't know our inventory, then we're not, that's the first thing that tells us we're not of value to our clients. And then the second part of that would be attend those classes that your association offers. I mean, a lot of them are free that your brokerage offers. Look to see what your broker offers and take advantage of it. I think as a new agent, we're, you know, a lot of people look at the wrong question. It's not what, what is your split? It's not how much are you going to make? What is, you know, where can I get the lowest fees? Because none of that really matters. If you don't have the ability to create the sale. And if you don't have the tools and take advantage of the tools that the brokerage provides. And I will tell you, I have been with Cowell Banker for most of my career. But I did take a short um, back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. I took a short break from Caldwell Banker. And I will tell you that I never made as much money when I was with Caldwell Banker the first time to when I'm back with Caldwell Banker now. And the reason is not because of splits and blah, blah, blah. It's because of what they provide to make it easier for me to generate the business. And so the people who are working worried about the fees and the commission splits, they're looking at the wrong, they're looking at the wrong thing because if you have the tools and you utilize the tools and you leverage the tools and you know your inventory and you and you learn how to negotiate and you learn how to be the advocate on behalf of your client, you will make more money whether you're at some place that's giving you a hundred percent with a you know $250 transaction fee or whatever, versus someone who's giving you a full a full menu of services because at some point you have to pay for the services. So it's just, how are you going to pay for them? Right. So don't get caught up as a new agent. Don't get caught up. on Who's going to give me the highest split because that's going to be your first mistake. Andrea, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Private message me through Facebook. My email is Andrea at andreageller.com. I'm pretty, I'm pretty easy out there to, to find. I'll, I'll second that you are. (laughs) So you can, you can go ahead and Google Andrea's name. You'll find a lot of articles she's written and contributed and things she's done. Andrea, thank you so much for 
taking some time out of your afternoon uh, to share uh, your story with the, the listeners of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. I really appreciate being asked.